Hello everybody, welcome back to Zeal. My name is John and here with me today are Bob and Carol. And uh, I've known Bob and Carol for about three years now and in that time, Bob's kind of been kind of my mentor. We've met over many coffees and Bob's given me tons of life advice about different circumstances, so that's been great. And uh, Carol has done some amazing things in that time as well and uh, obviously also been Bob's better half, so. Mm. Absolutely. And Bob and Carol have been following Jesus through thick and thin for 60 years, six decades, folks. Through that time, they've lived, you know, in different countries around the world. They've been part of many kind of church organizations in, uh, you know, supportive and leadership roles. So uh, I think you guys just have a ton of awesome perspective to share and excited to hear more. So, yeah. And so let's start, Carol, with yourself. And, um, I understand you met God when you were seven years old. What happened there? All right. Um, My grandparents took me to church at a very early age. I can remember maybe three or four or five being in church with them. My parents only attended church, maybe Christmas, Easter, any special occasion. And one day I was walking up Woodbine Avenue in Toronto And God spoke to me. I was only seven, but God spoke to me and told me he was real and he would look after me. And when I heard that voice, so to speak, um, I went immediately into the church because I was across the road from the church because there was a service going on. And I can remember exactly the place where I sat in the church and listened to the church service alone as a seven-year-old. And God was very real to me. And how did you uh, keep getting to know God from there? Well, we moved in with my grandparents and we went to All Saints Anglican Church at Sherburn and Dundas Street in Toronto. And in that church, there was a deaconess who took an interest in me. And she started praying for me. As a matter of fact, I got a letter from her when she was 97 years of age. And she said, I'm still praying for you. And it was through her that I really started my growth. However, I became a really active Christian when I went to high school. When I was in grade 10, I joined the Interschool Christian Fellowship and went to their meetings. There were seven people going to the meetings at the time. I thought I would never join that fellowship because all the people in it seemed to be a little bit weird for me. For me. I was involved in everything in the school, particularly sports. And there were no sporty people in that organization. However, I turned around in a class and asked a friend who became my lifelong friend uh, if she'd like to go with me. So we went. And through that group, we would meet every morning at 7.30 and pray. So prayer became a really important thing to me. That group grew from 7 to 70 during the time I was in high school. And I think it was because a group of us who we have remained friends for so many years met in the morning to pray. And then from there, you were a pretty committed member of a church, you know, following high school and the adult years in Toronto? Yes. I committed myself fully to that church. I was involved in teaching. I was involved in children's ministry, even though I was young myself, and decided that that's where I really wanted to serve. So I stayed at that church. As I was looking forward to my future life and thinking about whether I should get married or not, I determined at that point, the only way that I would get married is if I 
found a Christian man who believed the same things as I did. Otherwise, if God wanted me to be single, I would be single. I had thought about going into teaching up in Northern Canada during those years, but there was a time when our pastor's wife used to invite people for lunch and she invited myself and a fellow from the church. And it was then that I found him pursuing me. And so that's where I first met my husband and my first husband. <laughs> and uh, yeah. Shocker here, uh, that man was not Bob. Uh, that was Carol's first husband, Jake. So and Bob and Carol have, uh, this is their second marriage. Both their first spouses passed away about 25 years ago. So, yeah. Uh, so from there, Jake was uh, went to school to become a, a full-time pastor, a church pastor. Actually, the goal going in was not to be a pastor. It was to go where God wanted us to be. And the first thing we did when he graduated, or was about to graduate, is we applied to a mission. And uh, they wouldn't accept us because he was 29 and I hadn't been to Bible college. So we were rejected from going overseas. So then we decided, okay, we wanted to be in full-time ministry. So we would try getting a church and being pastor of a church. And uh, then over the next 20 years, you and Jake left, led uh, three churches. And then when you were 50, uh, at that point, Jake had transitioned jobs and then passed away at that point. And what happened around that time? Uh, that's quite a story. And it was through, um, a very close friend that he was put in touch with the Toronto Jewish Mission and told that they would like him to come to be director. That summer we went to visit his brother in Winnipeg and we had a great time, the four of us together without any children. We came back in October, he was having a pain in his side and he went to the doctor and to make a long story short, um, he had liver cancer. So um, it was very quickly that, that he did die, just three months after the diagnosis. What was life like after Jake passed away? And how did, what, what did it take to adjust to following that? People say when you lose your spouse, you lose half of yourself. You don't lose half of yourself, you lose seven-eighths of yourself because our ministry was together. So when he passed away, the ministry that we did together was gone. It was difficult for me to find out where I fit in and what I should be doing. And during that time, I had really close friends who helped me, but no one, not one of my friends had been through what I was going through, so no one really knew how to help me. People would say things to you. They think they're saying the right things, but they don't always say the right things when you lose a spouse. Um, I was fortunate in the fact that I had a job because my children were leaving home, so I was alone. And if I hadn't had the job, I think I would have sunk into deep depression because having a job to go out to every day and with working with children was a thing that kept me going at that time. How was it emotionally? You put one foot in front of the other and you just keep going because you know God's looking after you. You don't know how, but you just keep on. And then after I had been a widow for five years, then my life changed. Yep. And we'll get to that. That's uh, where this guy got into the picture. Man, you haven't talked too much yet. No, <laughs> no. <laughs> but this has been gold. Thank you so much for this, Carol. 
Now let's circle back to Bob's life and I'll just get us up to speed through the first couple of years. So Bob, you uh, were born in Nigeria and you lived there till the age of 11 and uh, were in and out of boarding schools in Nigeria. And Bob uh, then moved to Canada and continued uh, going to high school in boarding schools. Then, uh, so you were in university and how did you meet God there? I had a heart for God, but the one thing I knew I didn't want to be was a missionary. I'd seen it from the inside out. I grew up in a missionary context, in missionary family, and I knew that was not for me. When I got to my third year university, and again, I was relating to university on campus and really uh, good people, and I came to the realization that if I wanted to be a follower of Jesus Christ, I had to be a missionary. I had no choice. You're a follower of Jesus Christ, you follow him into the world. And so I decided that I would give in. And my third year university, I accepted Christ and all that meant. Uh, accept his lordship over my life, his sovereignty. And the next year I flunked out of university. Put those two together and you start to try to figure out what is God doing or what are you doing? And uh, so it was a, a very formative time in my life. Uh, but I sorted it out, transferred to another university, and I changed from a uh, triple major, maths, physics, and chemistry, to a double major of English and history, and passed. Yeah, let's uh, just for the record here, Bob was going to school to be an astronaut. Is that right? <laughs> well, that was that was what the Canadian <laughs> government was hoping. Right, and it was like a very competitive program where yeah, you had to have an A average to get into the program. And every year, the bottom 25% were removed, didn't matter what your marks were. So I actually had a B average until the third year. And they didn't just tell you you could no longer stay in the program. They wrote on your transcript that you had been expelled from the Faculty of Arts and Science. So I couldn't get into right. any other universities. Uh, fortunately, when you can't pass university, you go to Bible school, right? <laughs> so I transferred to Bible school and I attended uh, Western University at night, completed my BA at night and summers, and then completed a, a Bachelor of Theology degree at London College of Bible and Missions. So. All right, so you had graduated from university, you had become a teacher, and at that point you married your first wife, Patricia? I did. Actually, I married her before I graduated from Bible College. So you and Patricia, also known as Petey, you had moved to India and then spent time in Pakistan and Cyprus. And what were some experiences from those years and um, what, where did you see God working? I saw God working first of all the day we arrived in India. It was a long flight. Uh, we were informed that our baggage had not arrived um, but we were told well go to the center of town where the airline office was and you can get help there. So we went and landed up uh, on the main streets of Delhi downtown at 4 a.m. with nowhere to go because the office was not open. Uh, no one to talk to. And the first way I saw God work, out of the blue, a man, I believe was an angel, walked up to us and said, can I help you? And uh, he not only showed us where to get some uh, milk for the baby, he took me to a telephone exchange, showed me how to use an, an Indian telephone, which I had no clue about. We contacted people who then came to, to meet us. When I went to tip the man, he looked at me straight in the eye and he said, I told you I was a Christian. Why are you paying me? And he disappeared. I've never heard of him since, never seen him since. Hmm. And it's my experience of 
of God sending a messenger to us. Hmm. And that helped us survive that beginning. But then other times too, at the, at the school you saw God work in wonderful ways. At one point there was a virtually a revival in the school. Um, I was the disciplinarian in the school at that point, vice principal. And the whole place was transformed by kids coming to Christ. And um, I use the example of even the bathroom walls, which I used to constantly clean from graffiti, now said, Jesus loves you. Come to Bible club. You know, these kinds of messages. So the whole place was transformed, and it was clearly of God. No human agency could be, explain the wonderful things. Pakistan, we had experiences too, uh, where God was just so good to us and uh, helped us through troubled times. At one point, my wife was giving my uh, four-year-old a bath, middle of the afternoon. Two armed men broke into the house and attacked my wife. Um, she beat them off. Uh, it's hard to know how she could do that apart from God's strength. And when they went to hit her over the head with their uh, revolver butts, they broke the gun. Hmm. And when they went to fire at her later as she was running, uh, the gun misfired. Uh, and hmm. she was rescued by the night watchman next door and suffered no ill effects, if you can believe it. We took her to hospital, had her head bandaged, she had eight stitches, cuts from gun butt uh, strikes. She slept well that night, and as far as we know, suffered no trauma after that. Wow. Miracle. You know, and it just so clearly got at work in a, in a wonderful way. Mm -hmm. So. Ned, at a certain point, Bob, you and PD came back to Canada and uh, worked with the, the, you know, the Canadian office of the organization you worked with? That's right. And what happened in, in those years? Yeah, uh, PD was teaching uh, in the Toronto District School Board. And so my job was the uh, Canadian director of this agency, which had originally sent us out. And uh, I was doing that for about five, no, seven years when Petey started getting ill. Um, she noticed a, a general weakness. And so we, uh, we pursued that with the, the general practitioner who was helping us. And Make a long story short, she was diagnosed as having uh, multiple myeloma, cancer of the bone marrow. Well, she kept teaching, but she quoted that verse by David, my bones cry out. She just felt pain all over. And we realized it was reaching a dangerous stage when she was walking some of her kids, elementary school kids, along the sidewalk and she tripped on, on the edge of the sidewalk and broke three ribs. And we realized her bones were just deteriorating and weak and uh, again, to make a long story short, she entered hospital at that point uh, and was in palliative care for six months before she passed away. Well, I continued to give direction in the office, the Canadian office. And how old were you when PD passed away? Let me see. I was uh, 54. She was 57. Okay. And what was that like for you? Uh, how, was how did processing that go? It was the end of the world. Uh, I've written since that I think the loss of a spouse is worse even than a loss of siblings or parents or maybe even children. Because again, uh, as Carol said earlier, the, the spouse is more than half of you. Uh, she was my memory. She was my social life. She was just so much to me. And uh, the day she died, my world collapsed. It, it was very, very painful. I had cried out to the Lord to heal her 
And in my understanding of that, it meant bring her back to health and strength to serve with me in Canada. The day after she died, I realized all of a sudden he had answered my prayer, just not the way I had thought of it. He answered my prayer. He healed her spectacularly, completely, eternally. And I was able, the day after she died, to thank him for that and really genuinely believe he had answered my prayer. Still, it's tough, emotionally and every other way. It's still painful to remember it for both of us. Uh, as long ago as it was, you just, you never fully forget. I also discovered that I'm a pathetic bachelor. I didn't realize how much I had relied on her to organize meals and exercise and health and everything else. And I realized either I got remarried or, or I just quit everything I'd ever been doing. So now you're both in Canada and your first spouses had both passed away. How did you guys meet? I had um, a friend, Bob's sister. She shared with me that Bob's wife died and I went to the funeral because I knew Bob's wife from teaching. And so um, when I was at the funeral, I looked at Bob who was standing in the back and with no intentions of anything, I just looked at him and I thought, that poor man, he has to go through everything that I went through. I feel so sorry for him. And I actually wept in the car on the way home because I felt it wasn't fair for people to go through what I had gone through. And so his sister finally said to me one night when we were walking, Bob is telling me the same things that you and I talked about. Would you talk to him? And I said, well, he said he's going away. He's going back to Cyprus in the summertime. But would you talk to him? I said, if you think it would be a help, I will talk to him. I didn't know Bob at all. And that was my first real interaction. Even though I knew who he was, I didn't know who he was as a person. All right. So, Bob, you went back to Cyprus to kind of provide international leadership to right. the organization you worked with, InterServe. Right. And then I guess the magic started to happen. Uh, Bob and Carol ended up, you know, got married, uh, were working together in Cyprus and moved back to Canada together and worked with uh, Ontario Bible College again, which was now at this point renamed Tyndale. And uh, looking at your life overall, I would say one thing that stands out is that you guys have worked a lot with more established, long-standing organizations. That's probably something else, you know, it's less common to think that way. Everyone's always talking about new things that are starting, new businesses and yeah. churches and stuff. And I'm curious about your perspective on that. Um, where did you see God working in, um, in those organizations that have been established and around for decades? It started with our joining the group we did. It's the oldest faith uh, mission in the world, 165 years old started before any other agencies. And so they obviously had a commitment to the long term. And, and this has been typical of InterServe over the years. I think it is not just a commitment to age-old institutions. It's a commitment to stable institutions with creativity. That's absolutely critical. So you have a base of prayer and support and encouragement, but then you use your imagination, the creative gifts that God has built into all of us, to start new things in collaboration with other people. And so we would enter so-called closed countries by joining with other agencies. We would approach the government and saying, here are the services we can offer. Can we work together in this country? 
And so that typified the way we operated. One of, one of the, uh, the things that, uh, I won't say that our agency pioneered, but certainly were one of the early adopters, was so-called tent making, which is just the image taken from Acts 18, where Paul worked as a tent maker to support himself. Tent makers are people who either start their own business or they join an international organization which supports them. So they have a job, a professional job, and they evangelize and share Christ on the side. And what struck me, I made a list of the, the churches in the world that have been started by tent makers. So we're talking about Christian professionals, if you will, global kingdom professionals. And the church in Afghanistan, as weak as it is now, but was started by tent makers. The church in Bhutan, the church in Turkey, Saudi Arabia, Mongolia, and on and on. They were started by professionals who shared their faith in limited access countries, and the church was born. Mm, wow. So you guys have followed Jesus for 60 years. Is that, Carol, even longer than that, I guess, maybe more like 70. Um, what would you have to say to you know, anyone in their teens or their 20s on just you know, how to follow God for decades and perspective to have earlier in life from your vantage point? This is really profound. But I've learned that the key to following Jesus consistently over a long period of time are two, well, three words, trust and obey and have a sense of humor. And I really believe that those are the key uh, to being a follower of Jesus over the long period. It, it's simple stuff, trust and obey. And uh, I just find it constantly uh, renewing itself in my walk with the Lord and in calling me to obedience. He, he's told me so much and I have to live up to what I know to be true but I trust him to finish it and carry it through. Carol, how about you? I would say uh, the Lord has taught me to put one foot in front of the other, no matter what the circumstances of life are, and know that he loves me so much that he will look after me to the end of the age till he calls me home. Got it. This has been fantastic. Uh, thank you to both of you for your time. Uh, we're gonna wrap it up. And as always, you can email ask at zealpodcast.org and with any questions maybe we'll have a chance to meet again and follow up on some of those of his that'd be fun bob and carol's lives over the decades any gaps that we missed or things like that and uh you can follow a zeal podcast on instagram and facebook at zeal podcast subscribe to the podcast on uh you know, youtube the, the youtube channel iTunes, Google Play, those kinds of things. And I've said this before, but uh, I think the way that you could respond that would be the most exciting would be uh, if, if you would tell a friend or a few friends about this interview, maybe all watch it, and then just have a conversation about you know, what you learned from Bob and Carol's story in their lives and what you could do in your own life kind of in response to that. So. That would be amazing. We'd love to hear stories about uh, your takeaways on that side too. And yeah, thanks for following along and see y'all again next time. Thank you.